Hello, hello, what is up? And welcome to Off the Books, where we're surfing the uncharted waters of accounting, of finance, and wherever else those waves take us. I'm Drew Dubner. I am your host. I am not an accountant, but I like asking questions of people who are, so finance professionals can do their jobs better. Today, oh man, we got a cool show. We have Steve Soder, we have Camille Rudy, and we also have a special guest, Paul Volpe. Steve, would you tell the folks at home who you are? I would be happy to, Drew. Thank you. This is Steve Soder, accounting enthusiast and Diet Coke aficionado. Very much looking forward to debiting some perspective today as we hear from Paul. Bingo. Hey, everybody. I'm Camille Rudy, National Director of the SEC Professionals Group. Very happy to be here today. Cool. Paul. And I'm Paul Volpe. I've been in technology industry for about 20 years, uh, primarily how people use data to meet regulatory requirements and make better business decisions. Um, I've uh, worked with technologies developed by Fortune 100 tech companies, as well as just small startups uh, over the years. Excellent. Glad to have you aboard. So today's topic hinges on two things, mainly. Uh, one, the wild, ever-changing world of global regulations, and two, innovation in accounting. So in a nutshell, each country has a stack of reporting standards and mandates they have to be cognizant of, and they're typically independent of each other. Country A doesn't have to disclose the same stuff in the same way as country B. And when your company exists in both countries, that gets kind of hairy. But creativity loves constraints and accountants are getting innovative with how they adapt to all these standards with some cool tools and technologies. So, Paul, you've been in the game for a while. What's happened in the industry over the last 20 years or so? Get me up to speed. Well, there's there's a ton of things going on. Uh, It's one thing that's going to ensure that accountants uh, in the future have jobs. I'm here to say that first and foremost, uh, because the... You're right. Many countries and regulators uh, are are establishing new ways of looking at data. You've got new accounting standards changing, uh, changing, whether it's global standards uh, like IFRS or or local gaps where uh, where on a country basis, people are uh, asking people to account for things in unique ways to meet shareholders and and requirements in those countries or authorities. Uh, you've got things like the introduction of machine readable data like XBRL and XML formats, whether it's in the U.S. at the SEC or the Dutch Chamber of Commerce or the HMRC in the U.K. or ESMA and now FERC uh, in the energy industry. Right? We're going to continue to see that. And then you have global regulations um, uh, that are affecting things like tax transparency. So these cross-country regulations are st- starting to come into play because countries are thinking about these things or institutions are thinking about them globally and, and, and people wanting to make sure that uh, that accounting standards are not used to avoid uh, the paying proper taxes. You've got things like DAC 6 and mandatory disclosure requirements and the, the, the transparency that's going on with the o- OECD, right? Um, and, and then on top of that, you have uh, new constraints uh, on the accounting function because of uh, the internationalization of where people work, whether it's from home or, or in other countries. So those things are all locked on top of uh, how do you get data uh, consistently from your standard ledgers, which is changing. And then on top of that, all these standards, they want different types of non-financial data. So there's just a tremendous amount of change going on uh, that's affecting uh, the people in this industry. So, 
Paul, I'd love to explore that just a little bit more. Um, you know, I've, uh, I guess, been in practice for nearly 20 years myself. And I think about some of the way that these mandates have changed over the years. If I think about U.S. GAAP, for example, stock-based compensation and derivatives, uh, you know, have been a thing over the years. Certainly lately, we've got revenue recognition and, you know, lease accounting. Can you talk about how those mandates, um, those changing standards, which have been a little bit of a moving target over the long term, have really changed the technology landscape and the way that accountants are doing those jobs? In, in a lot of ways, accountants are being asked to do more uh, with what they have. And if they want to make it home uh, for dinner to their families or they want an opportunity to advance their careers, they've got to be a bit creative in how they uh, address these things. And technology can be a critical component of that. And when I say creativity, I don't mean creativity of uh, cooking the books. I mean creativity of the process <laughs> and the approaches. And traditional tools um, really can help with one-offs. What, what, they, what, what many forward-looking accounting teams and organizations are looking at is, how do you create some repeatable processes and repeatable approaches to dealing with the unstructured nature of many of those things? Like the, there's just so much gray and in interpretation trying to codify these into rigid systems. Um, but more thinking about how do you bring people together and processes to establish uh, ways of bringing the right people in at the right time. Uh, to interpret and then uh, pat, uh, a little thinking about it a little bit more in, from a production cycle, the, the, those take the idea of how do you bring data and people together, and that's where technology is is having a dramatic impact. Even in such that um, a lot of the the younger generation, uh, the new folks coming out, they expect the types of tools and technologies that they um, are using on a daily basis. Uh, are are part of the workforce. I was just in, you know, I don't know if this COVID thing is like for the rest of you, but I spend more time seeing what my kids are actually doing. And uh, my daughter last night walked me through a presentation on Greek gods that looked better and more highly formatted, more interesting than any pre business presentation I put together that she and her teammate put together just by uh, uh, working over Zoom and, and this document. Uh, using some of the collaborative tools, and, and these people, they're uh, you know going to be the future, and all, we're also seeing it with the interns. They want those types of flexible tools that bring people, data, and information together, uh, so they can do this simultaneously. So the tip there is for the next bring your daughter to work day, you'll need to get her working on the most important proposal presentation. You know, whatever you got rocking. You put her to work and uh, you'll see her shine, I'm sure. Uh, I may, uh, luckily enough, I work for a company that uh, is all about collaborative and cloud-based technologies and being able to pop her into my work stream is going to be pretty easy. <laughs> That's it. funny, Paul. And, you know, you were talking about collaboration and bringing people together. And, you know, that's one of the things that the SEC Pro Group does, right? We bring people together to collaborate on different topics and issues, whether it's disclosure effectiveness or whether it's CECL or whether it's, you know, the new FERC regulation. And so it's really um, it's an opportunity for members to gather, to learn from each other, and to take advantage of the fact that we can work collaboratively and virtually. Yep. It, you know, that, that brings up an interesting point that the future is not just about 
working on interpretation within your company on on one uh, it, it is working across your stakeholders uh, with with technology to enable that we just see folks working closer with their auditors their third-party service providers their people that are helping them bring some local domain or knowledge into the process uh, into the actual work product if you will with with the right uh, with the right approach like it, it is about how do you bring people together into the process rather than than sending um, you know documents or data files or information back and forth that that really is the future what do you mean by bringing people into the process just having putting all this stuff in one spot uh, you know that's historically where things kind of got started if you think about how people have been using uh, data in the future right everybody's creating that master spreadsheet or that master data set and um, you know pulling you know the, the the people in your organization that control access to the the core data sources and then you you build silos of people that understand the interpretations and the data and they run a process but um, if you want to uh, you know allow people to scale to do new things creating repeatability and, and institutionalizing some of that tribal knowledge it has to be more than just Here's that one file that everybody goes and looks at. You have to think about um, how does that that data file evolve, and how do you bring uh, people, whether it's workflow or tasks or automation, using new things like bots or or some of the uh, uh, the, the the AI components in the future. It's how do you create some repeatability for the data, the people, and the process uh, that that are associated with with many of these accounting work streams. And then that's going to allow people to, to be freed up to focus more on the interpretation, the specialty knowledge, rather than the process and the data manipulation. Paul, one thing that I observed um, over my career is the um, the expectation at an executive level of having that data available and ready to go if they wanted to get into it. And, and I could remember a handful of experiences where a CFO or even a CEO said, hey, I'd, I'd really like to dig into that. You know, can you send me the data? And at first it was a little shocking because um, while I would say it was accurate, it probably wasn't polished to the extent that we would actually want to get that in front of our CEO. And, and I'm wondering if that's a trend that, that you see as well, just that expectation that, you know, maybe 10 or 20 years ago, the source data was just kind of something that the accountants kind of had to deal with. But now going forward, hey, we expect that data to be transparent. Is that all the way up to an executive level. Is that is that something that you've seen, you know, o- over these last few years? I I I think many of the, the the executives we're we're seeing also came come from industry. They're they're people that understand technology more than than uh, say leadership in the past. So I, when I first got into working in financial reporting about. 10 years ago, the idea that a CFO would do anything other than print something out and looking at it, when we talked to them about using technology, they said, that's not going to change. Like these people have their process. They're going to want to tie this thing out on paper. Well, that's dramatically changing. You know, part of it is, is because people are becoming more familiar with how technology can make their team's life as well as their own life better, more productive. 
but also generationally. So many of the new leaders have grown up in the age of having technology. So so they care about the details. They will like the scrutiny and absolutely that 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 trend's going to continue. They want that interactivity and that discussion around it, not just uh, you know, the final output. And then you're going to see that on the on the audit side of it, uh, you know, your auditors and your stakeholders, they want more transparency around the financial stuff as well as the, the non-financial stuff, what's going on within uh, the sustainability trends, especially in Europe, uh, you know, getting assurance around your sustainability data and your health and safety. I mean, those those types of trends and the accountability uh, that's going to be uh, demanded from shareholders is only going to continue. It, it reminds me of one of my earliest um, formative, I guess, experiences as an accountant. I had sent something over to somebody to review and they said, Steve, I need you to get in here right now. So I went to their office and they said, I can't believe you did this. It's like, what did I, did I mess up an amount? Is it the wrong GL account, the wrong cost center? Steve, you didn't print format this spreadsheet. Could you imagine if I would have sent this to our <laughs> CFO and he wasn't able to print this out without adjusting it? And, uh, Anyway, it sets some expectations pretty quickly for me. <laughs> hey, Paul, I want to circle back to something you mentioned a, a few minutes ago. You talked about the concept of automating some of this tribal knowledge. A friend of mine uh, started a job on the first day that all of this stuff with COVID got locked down. And I really feel bad for him because he had to basically get up to speed in a world where everything was virtual. So tell me how that automation of tribal knowledge, automation of the the innate stuff that goes along with the, the being an accountant can be brought into fruition by technology, if that makes sense. Well, I, I would almost say that there's two aspects of it. Like automation is um, uh, one thing that I, I would say is more akin to how do you uh, create steps that can automatically happen without human intervention? But then there's just the documentation side of this, which creates some transparency um, and transferability of, of the of the processes to new people. So, so case in point, um, you know, all over the place within accounting and finance, you see business processes that um, have been done a certain way because somebody very good at one point in time had developed a spreadsheet and a process and then it been it was kind of codified in either the person or that spreadsheet that 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 people have those exists all over the place and somebody new comes in you kind of have to understand what it is and pick it back up um the new people you know uh one you know how do you document this to to disassociate a lot of the the manual interventions that that somebody just knows to do because they've done it so many times. How do you how do you codify that in the actual process? Well, that, that's where technology can help because you can uh, establish routines within the technology rather than within the people's head, and that makes that transfer to new people. But then also the other thing about technology is the tooling that is available to uh, you know to folks like your your friend that started uh, somewhere. Like the tooling that's, that should be available to people uh, in, in the accounting workspace sh should be much better than it was 20 years ago. Um, the types of cloud systems, collaboration tools, um, it, it has to go beyond just fire, file shared email if you really want to allow people to innovate to, to, to both document it um, as well as uh, you know, create, create a repeatability to it. It, it really is... Um, how, how do you um, 
how do you start getting those those functions into something that's more transparent than just a person's head? Word, word. Well, to be totally transparent, we got to take a quick pause for a commercial break. So we'll be back in a hot minute. Today's episode is brought to you by Workiva. Like most everyone else, I try to eat healthy or at least not eat exclusively dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets. That's why I'm a big fan of salad kits. Yes, this is an ad for Workiva, but it is also an ad for salad kits. No longer will I buy a full bunch of kale or iceberg and wonder what to do with the rest after I've eaten a salad. No longer will I have to think of crouton pairings. And no longer will I have 14 half-used bottles of dressing in the fridge. To paraphrase Patrick Henry, give me convenience or give me death. I have found culinary convenience in salad kits, as you will find financial reporting and compliance convenience in Workiva. Yes, Workiva, when you've got your SEC reporting, internal audit, SOX compliance, and so much more on the same platform, you've got just the right ingredients right when you need them. Toss out that old technology your team never liked to use and try Workiva, tailor-made to your processes without all the extraneous junk that just gums up the works. Plus, it's fat-free and low in sodium. Workiva, check it out. That's Workiva, W-O-R-K-I-V-A dot com slash podcast. Welcome back from the commercial. Uh, Steve, we were talking over the break and you had a question that resonated with me a lot. Uh, I'll let you ask it. What am I doing? Sure. Yeah. And and this is a favorite question of mine. So I've actually asked this uh, to a handful of our guests on the show and other people. But but Paul, given your perspective over the last 20 years, and especially as you see what is on both the near and, and long-term horizon, I mean, do you ever see you know, accounting basically getting automated to the point where, you know, folks like me are out of a job? Well, maybe you, Steve. Uh, I don't know your skill set. <laughs> your comedy routine might get uh, automated out. But uh, no, look, I, I, I think accountants are always going to have jobs. Like there's always going to be regulatory uh, requirements. There's always stakeholders uh, that um, that want uh, a a structured opinion on uh, the, the the it's only going to get bigger with the with the additional mandates around non financial data and a real uh, recognition that stakeholders are not just about not just about um, management not just about shareholders but but uh, the communities the countries uh, and the globe so. The real question is, is what activities um, and where's the focus of account accountant skills going to be in the future? And it's certainly, you know, uh, not going to be in a lot of the repetitive tasks, uh, you know, with with the introduction of optical character recognition and a lot of things that we, we used to have data entry jobs like th- those have uh, gone the way, gone away. And and, you know, really simple things uh, are, are going to be going to going to be. Uh, done in systems but the interpretation the changing landscapes the networking and understanding best practices the the um you know i i think if accountants really want to be relevant in the future they're going to have to continue to invest in understanding te- how technology is is impacting there because the technology is going to impact every every industry out there and in accounting um uh, even more so so if you're if you're not thinking about 
where, what companies, uh, what innovations are going on in your industry around technology, uh, you're, you're going to be at the end of the process rather than at the beginning. And, and certainly if you want to get into leadership positions in the, in the in accounting industry, being vested, and I, I don't mean just like reading the architecture and trusting a couple of salespeople that hassle you, but really understanding a, a bit of the detail about the capabilities and how they impact uh, the industry and how they could be leveraged for your company. Like those, and, and looking for big, innovative ways technologies can tackle hairy uh, manual processes. Every accountant that wants to uh, you know, kind of see their career trajectory uh, certainly up, up the chain, should be looking for those opportunities. You know, the, the, there's the peer networking aspect of it. What are, your, what are your peers doing? Who are they trusting? What technologies are they looking at? Like it just has to be a little bit more incorporated into our, to our job functions in the future because you know, technology, just like, just like the regulations themselves, uh, are gonna be core to the job responsibilities. You know, I'm really glad you brought this stuff up, Paul, because while I don't want to go ahead and give a complete uh, commercial for professional organizations, I do recall when we had Bob Hurst and Leslie Seidman and Russ Golden and Jeanette Franzel speaking at the SEC Pro Group meeting, they talked about the importance of staying active in professional associations, including those like the SEC Professionals Group or the FEI or the IMA. And to the extent that you decide to differentiate yourself by being an active participant in those groups, or even perhaps taking on a leadership role in an organization as a chapter leader or as a committee lead, you'd have the opportunity to work with others to learn how technology is influencing their jobs and helping them be more effective leaders in their organizations. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, the other thing to really think about the changing technology landscape is for many of us that have been in technology a while, oftentimes, and I, I used to, to, to be working for those large ERP technology vendors, like technology lived in the IT departments. It was their function to uh, identify technology, bring it to apply it to the business at scale in large ways. The difference with a lot of the innovation that's going on in the cloud is much more accessible to the business with, with controls, obviously, and the data security and whatnot, but the ability to get start small or smart start within the business in ways that can dramatically improve the business, like is 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 uh, changing the way that technology is being adopted. It's not always big, big iron, IT led, ERP, SAP, kind of those those are important and those things go on. But what sustains, what helps innovation, and frankly, some of the the newer generation that grew up with technology, they're poking around asking the question. There's got to be some tool out there or some way of doing it. Those things are much more accessible through cloud applications because you don't have to set up servers. Back when I started, uh, you know, what people did in accounting and finance department was they uh, went and got a couple of CDs, uh, whether it was from Microsoft or else, and put a server under somebody's desk and, that, and, and then they put it on the network and everybody started building applications. And that became a no-no for many different reasons within organizations. But the underlying reason for doing that is the knowledge about the business problem and the needs of the business existed within the business group 
not and and they weren't being met at scale by the big iron IT organizations. Well, that stuff doesn't have to live under a desk anymore. It sits in a cloud. It it can it can sit in a in a and it gives you an accessibility and a way to make an impact quickly at a low at low risk. And I I bet you the problems at these organizations around technology are a lot more I don't know democratized. Uh, like for instance, Absolutely. I saw a commercial last night watching whatever garbage I was watching for Microsoft Teams. It was a cloud collaboration tool and it was next to a commercial for mayonnaise. So clearly like, you know, you're the, the people who are using your software also have lives. They are also yeah. out there if watching you mayonnaise. mayonnaise you might also like Microsoft Teams. They pair well together. Yeah. But like, I think tech companies understand this, their end user mindedness, like the, the technology that we're using at home is making its way into the workplace. Uh, and, uh, and companies are starting to embrace this, particularly with in this new environment that we're in, um, where, where, where people, uh, people have to work remotely and it isn't all just through a VPN. And that's where the, where these new cloud technologies, uh, can be, can, can not only, uh, make this easier, they can actually make us all more productive and more and, and more effective. Yeah, I imagine uh, COVID and the air quotes new normal that we're in right now is totally blurring the line between your ERP solution and like a Nintendo Switch. One might be more interesting than the other. <laughs> no judgment. No judgments. I know, I know which one I'd rather spend a lot of time with, but I know which one <laughs> we all end up spending more, actually spend more time with. <laughs> Yeah, Microsoft Teams, Google Hangout, Zoom. Do you guys remember that that Zoom uh, program on um, uh, on public television oh, years the PBS ago? One? Yeah, it was called Zoom. That was my jam. Yes, Zoom, 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 uh, Zoom. Come on, uh, Zoom, uh, Zoom. Zoom. Remember that? It was a great that, little that, that, program. That, I remember it was a great oh, yeah. little program. But but you know what though? Back to back to what you're saying generationally what's been so interesting is that i'd say 3 months ago where you know i still would spend a considerable amount of time doing uh calls and meetings on google hangout or zoom or go to meeting or whatever you know now fast forward to this past school year and now my kids are doing zoom calls and they know how to log in and they know how to i mean it's 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 completely ubiquitous now and i thought you know how odd and how awesome that for me, a technology that came, you know, somewhat late, I guess, is now really, really early with kids in elementary school and junior high and high school that are starting to use this technology. And it really makes you think, well, what else is going to become ubiquitous in the next, not even five or 10 years, but the next year or two as a result of all this? Yeah. You know, a lot of times there's a consistency that that helps with um, with the purpose, which is to build assurance and stability. but you know, change is inevitable, even even here, and and sometimes the the circumstances can can get us into a much better place. I really do believe that's what all of this is going to do for for this industry. It's going to accelerate something that that was already on the path. This just gives all, a lot more of us the opportunity to jump on and be a part of the the solution in the same way that the next generation is. I love that. That's a super happy, optimistic note to kind of close the episode on. So every episode, we close on a nice, lighthearted question of the day. And today's final question of the day is, what is one thing you'd recommend to make your home office more comfortable? So we're all kind of nestled in 
into the spare bedroom or the home office or wherever you might be. Steve, I'm in, you're in your laundry room. Clearly I can hear your washing machine in the background. Uh, That's it. What is one, what is one thing you'd recommend to make your home office more comfortable? Uh, well, that's pretty straightforward. That would be a big bird figurine. Put them on the windowsill, put them on the shelf, put them on your desk, on top of your monitor. They can go anywhere. But if I didn't do that as my first choice, my second choice would actually be plants. So when I found myself spending more time down here, I got a couple of small potted plants, put some on the windowsill. I realize our uh, uh, listeners can't uh, see that, but uh, it's actually made it kind of a nice little space down here. I'm in my basement in my laundry room with my washer and dryer. But Steve, are you sitting on your washer? Yeah, I can't. <laughs> oh man. It was like a flash. There were just so many thoughts that all went through my head at the same time. Camille, I'm not sitting on my washer or dryer. I'm actually in a desk chair, but I ought to try it. I bet I'd have more fun while I'm doing these podcasts. Invigorating. I've heard. I've heard. Okay, Camille, what you got? You know, I have to be honest. I have a very comfortable home office. So the only thing that would make it better is if my closet was like three times bigger. And then I would really be very happy. But other than that, it's it's cool. It works. What about you, Paul? I'm just looking for I'm just looking for a low a low tech beanbag to just uh I mean, I think the idea of being able to lounge flat uh, and have have my chair molded to my body, uh, so I believe is would just make would round out the the, the workspace. That so I comfortable, I like that. I should invest in a beanbag chair. Uh, they make they make all sorts of crazy ones nowadays. There are. You're right. We used to have a leopard covered one, but we ultimately gave it away during one of our moves. We've done beanbags at our house, but the problem is. Those dang kids jump on it and they pop it, and you get and then stuff all yeah, over the place. Little plastic things everywhere. Right. Thank you all so much. I'm Drew Dubner. This has been an episode of Off the Books. Please subscribe, leave a review, write a poem to your accounts payable team, or tell your buddies if you like the show. Surf's up, and we'll see you on the next wave. How many waterbeds have you owned in your lifetime, Camille? Truly none. Oh, really? You seem like a waterbed person, Camille. I don't mean to make swift, rash judgments. No. Lava lamps? What about lava lamps? No, Paul. I'm not that old, sweetheart. Did you ever go in a van? What about a van? What about a van? A full-size van? Like, did you ever... Paul, now let me say, I don't know how well you know me, but you should know me well enough to know I have never, ever owned, let alone driven a Minivan, okay. That is not my like a stylish, like a BMW van. I don't think there is a BMW van. van. You are not a minivan lady, okay? No. And oh, I'm Drew Dubner. This has been an episode of Off the Used Car Lot. Please subscribe. (laughs) Bye, Camille. A Mercedes. Tell your buddies if you like the show. (laughs) 